This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, Show 64. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets Podcast, here with my magical co-host, Mr. Brandon Turner. Abracadabra. <laughs> Alakazam. Yeah, look at me magical. How you doing? You were you were a kid who used to do magic, weren't you? I actually so <laughs> <laughs> I remember setting up like a this like magic table in my bedroom and doing a whole magic show for my family. And then like two months ago I went to Universal Studios in Florida and I bought a whole magic kit there that I've been waiting to do on a uh, bigger pockets video and I haven't done it yet. But <laughs> speaking of video, I did actually uh, work on a video this morning that I'm gonna be editing later today for bigger pockets. So I'm pretty excited. I got a new That's camera great. lens and stuff. So very yeah. exciting. I'm yeah. sure everybody cares. Uh, they do. You should check out my new. <laughs> I'm telling <laughs> what you. Is, uh, what, okay. What's what's the new video? What are you What are you working on? All right. So I did a video on the pro upgrade. So hey, you should go check out the pro page, everyone at biggerpockets.com/pro. Look at nice that. Nice plug, Brandon. Yeah. Look that at was, that. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I okay. set that one up and hit it yeah, out of the yeah, park. Yeah. I'm a sucker. Okay. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Well done. Well done. All right, guys. Today we got an amazing show. We've got Josh Sterling as our guest, and and uh, this guy is unbelievable. Really, really inspiring. He's a uh, real estate investor up in the uh, Detroit, Michigan area, Detroit adjacent. Uh, <laughs> Josh is a former pilot, a current air air uh, air traffic controller. And while working his full-time job, he's a real estate investor amassing a portfolio in the past five years of 50 properties. So in five years while working his full-time job, this guy's built up this incredible portfolio. So for any of you guys who are thinking, yeah, you know, I'm too busy or it's so hard to get that first one and then the next one, you really, really want to pay attention to this one all the way through. Josh has got some really good advice. Uh, we, we go into depth on on a lot of really cool topics and, and hopefully you'll, you'll uh, stay tuned. With that said, really quickly want to hit our quick, quick tip. tip. Today's quick tip is we are in the midst of a, a, a big time uh, redesign of bigger pockets. And, and in the coming weeks, we're going to be relaunching this thing with really, really much sleeker design, a lot cleaner. We're improving a lot of the functionality that may be a little, you know, junky, so to speak. Some of the problem areas we've <laughs> really uh, focused attention on. So just wanted to give you a heads up. We got this thing coming soon. It's going to look awesome and uh, it works great. And we're, we're super excited about it. So that is today's quick tip. Lastly, this is show 64 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. You can follow the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 64. And finally, there was a lastly, then a finally. And finally, <laughs> if you have not yet reviewed this show or, or left us feedback on iTunes, we really ask that you do so. Please jump in, leave us an honest review. We haven't really asked you guys a lot lately uh, to do that. And, and uh, we're now averaging almost 22,000 listens a show. We've got like 600 reviews. So hopefully some of you guys who haven't yet taken the time to do that could. It really helps us get more visibility, helps uh, increase the, the listenership for the podcast. So uh, please go and do that. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. 
With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. If you're in the landlord game, then you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where RentReady steps in. Now, RentReady's got an important new feature, proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. Say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with RentReady. RentReady is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for $1. You can't beat that. I actually don't even know how they make money doing that, but it's above my pay grade, pal. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, like me, to get six months of rent ready for $1, which is crazy. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. That all said, I want to bring on to the show, Josh. Josh, what's going on, man? Welcome to the show. All right. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Good to have you. Yeah, this is the first time we've had a, a guest with the same name as uh, of my uh, I don't know, host here, Josh. Yeah, my, so. and my caveman brain may not be able to, uh, to <laughs> fully function in, in talking to somebody with the same name. Me, Josh. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> No, Josh, Josh Sterling, we are glad to have you. Uh, you and I have actually known each other for a little while now. I don't know. It's been like, I don't know what a year, maybe I think we met a, I don't know, a long time ago. Uh, you reached out yep. to me and we started emailing back and forth and I'm excited to have you on the show today. Well, great. Thanks again. It's great to be here. Yeah. yeah so, so Josh, we talked before the show and, uh, you have 50 doors under your belt as of this, you know, sometime in the next couple of days, you'll close that last deal. We'll talk about it. You've right. been at this for five years and you work a full-time job. A lot of F's going on here. That's, <laughs> that's awesome, man. I mean, wow. How, how yeah. on earth do you go from this guy who knows nothing about real estate and, and five years later, you've, you've built such an incredible business. 
Um, you know, it starts with, uh, I did everything growing up that, that you're supposed to do, right? I, uh, right out of high school, went right to college. Um, best college that I thought I could go get into. Um, did well in school, graduated top of my class, went right into the career. I, I became an airline pilot. Oh, um, nice. thought I really had it figured out. Um, five years after that, I was about, uh, 26, 27 years old. And, uh, I realized maybe the path that I went down wasn't really the right path. Everyone tells you to, to go to school, get the good job. I bought a, a condo in there sometime right at the peak of the market. And, uh, look back over it all and it really wasn't the right way to do it, I think. Um, so I started looking into other things to do. I had about every different idea for different businesses that I could start and uh, really real estate investing was the only one that made sense to me at the time. Nice. Um, hey, when, when, how we started. when was this? Because you're a young guy right now. I mean, you don't look much older than yeah, 26, just, 27 I right just now. I turned but. 30 here last year. Nice. Okay. So you're, Welcome to the club, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you old guys. Not so good to be there. No. <laughs> well, that's cool. Well, so how did you actually get started then? I mean, what was the, what did, what did the first deal look like or what was your entrance in? Sure. So, well, our first deal was kind of accidental. Uh, I, I mentioned I bought a condo in there. Um, somewhere at the peak of the market, probably the, the highest day ever for prices, I think nice. it was. I bought the whole <laughs> too, by the way. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, I, I didn't know it at the time, but uh, my now wife, um, she had also bought a property, I think about the day before I did, about the peak of the market. <laughs> so our first deal was- We met was, at the closing uh, table. It was a, it was a yeah, romance yeah. at the yeah, at actually we met in Las Vegas, so that's a whole other story. There. But, uh, <laughs> nice. but she ended up moving to my place in Florida. I was traveling around with the airlines, so we rented out her um, first uh, mistake property, if you will. Uh, a little bit negative cash flow, but made it work. So that, that wasn't really a, a true uh, targeted investment, but that's what got us into it. We, uh, I remember the day we listed it. We listed it for rent. We went out bowling. I came back. I have 17 missed calls on my phone, so I figured – Wow, there might be something to this, and that's what got us into it. That's nice. cool. Do you nice. do you recommend people starting that way? Like no, looking back, do you recommend people start with their first, you know, turning their home into a rental? It, not necessarily. I think that was actually probably the hardest way to do it, mainly because uh, I know she was emotionally attached. We we still have it as a rental today. She has a little bit of an attachment to that home, and actually been in her family for about thirty years. Uh, so you know, if any kind of damage is done, even though it's just a small monetary fix, it's still emotionally is tough for her. Yeah. But, but either way, that that's what got us into it. And then it was just a matter of how do we actually turn this into something scalable and, and some kind of business here. You know, you, you make a really good point there on, on the emotional side. I think that's probably one of the most important things that an investor needs to learn is to separate emotion from business. You know, uh, that, you know, I think that comes in when you're acquiring deals. It comes in when you're negotiating on the sale of deals. And it comes in when you're... Uh, fixing them up. Uh, I, I, I think that's probably where a lot of new investors really mess up. They, they get tied in, they're drawn in and, and, you know, they, they fall in love with the place and, you know, they want to tweak it and fix it. So it's just perfect. And maybe you're over fixing it for your tenants. Maybe, you know, you put too many, tr- too much trim in for, for flipping it, or maybe you just can't let it go. Uh, when it starts going downhill or it's negative, uh, cash flow because you know you, you fell in love with the property right absolutely yeah, yeah. I, I still get like i mean i've been doing this for what seven eight years now and i still get emotionally like attached or just involved with everything it's really a, a, a bad problem to have i mean like after i have to go through an eviction eviction should just be a you know 
pretty simple thing. Give it to my attorney, let him take care of it. But it's not. I still like get like stressed and that like knot in my stomach, and I'm all like, you know, ticked off the tenant. And, it's because you're a nice guy, Brandon. As far as the <laughs> the rehabs go, I mean, I think uh, you know, there's there's a fine line between over rehabbing or yep. uh, or you know, being a slumlord, and and I definitely err on the over rehabbing side. We're putting you know twenty five thousand dollars remodels on these rentals, and more often than not, I get people that invest that say you're you're really overdoing it. And and emotionally, I guess you could say I I take a little pride in in the uh, properties. I feel like if I wouldn't live in it myself, then I don't want to have it as a rental. So I I almost feel the I, I like the pride of uh, listing a, a unit having ten people fight over renting it. So yeah. in a way, I guess the emotional uh, aspect of it can be good for you. So are you over rehabbing in that you're putting in granite where you could just put for some formica or are you where, over yeah. rehabbing it where like, I, I don't know if you listen to our show with, with Darren Sager, he's, he's uh-huh. tenant proofing it. He's over rehabbing in that he's putting better materials that are going to survive longer. A little bit of both. Uh, I mean, I will, for example, refinish hard wood floors, which cost me a touch more up front. But again, that's kind of tenant proofing because carpet gets destroyed. Uh, On the granite note uh, versus Formica, there's certain layouts of kitchens where it's so small and there's so many different uh, configurations of countertop that it might only cost me an extra three or $400 to put granite in there. Um, Then I'll go granite. I sometimes will do that. That's way above market even for a flip here. But I'll tell you what, it has really helped, I think, attract good quality tenants who want to stay for a while. And you're, um, in, you're in what market? Just, just so we know. We're not too far from Detroit. Uh, don't get on us too much. Uh, my wife works downtown Detroit. We're probably 20 minute drive from downtown Detroit, but it's a world away. Really. I wouldn't touch Detroit to be honest. <laughs> That's a nice city. I've been there. That's not true. Either <laughs> way. <one. laughs> <laughs> you're a funny guy. All right. Well, l- let's go back, I guess, uh, I guess a little bit to, your first, I mean, your first deal was the accidental rental, which right. you aren't, you know, negative cash flow, whatever you're making it work, which I'm doing that as well in one of mine. So what happened next? Like, how did you actually jump into investing then in real estate? Yeah, so we had realized, I think the light just went off when, when we realized the demand just for that, that one house that we had. And I thought, man, if I, if we had more of these, this could really, uh, this could really turn into something here. So that was January that we rented that out. By September of that year, it took us to come up with the funds to purchase a, an actual intentional rental. And at that point, we uh, we didn't have the uh, – well, we hadn't really set anything up as far as a business entity. We really didn't know what we were doing, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I remember we – I didn't know anything about fixing up houses. I didn't know anything about uh, landlording or anything. So we find this house. It's basically turnkey, which really meant it was like lipstick on a pig remodel. But either way, it was ready to run. <laughs> nice. We find this house. They actually offered it for sale on land contract, but I was so naive. I didn't even know what land contract was. So we just paid cash for it because we'd saved up and enough to buy it in, in the nine months there. Looking back now, I could have bought this thing on land contract and it would have been a better deal. But anyway, so we buy this house. How much did I you pay? Uh, $40,000. Okay. And uh, it, it, that was probably a little bit high too. But again, at the time, it was, it, you know, the, it worked for us. So I remember the first time we listed it, the tenant um, who's still with us today, she calls up and is asking questions about the house. And she asks if it has central air. And I go, I don't know. What's that? Well, anybody out here. 
but I'm not from Michigan originally. I'm from uh, in California. We don't have central air anywhere. I'd never even heard of that. I didn't know the first thing about rentals and, and it works. That just shows you that it, it really anybody could do this. That's funny. Nice. Well, that's cool. That's cool. Right, so so you, buy, you buy this first unit, you pay 40 grand. Uh, yeah. How much money did you put into fixing it or you just slapped a little more uh, lipstick on the pig? It was, they marketed it as turnkey. I think I put 50 bucks into like running some exterior caulking around. Some door. <laughs> okay. I mean, we literally rented it like that week. Yeah. Um, but I quickly realized that it wasn't a very good remodel and, and that a better business model would be to buy these bank owned homes that needed work and I could do a better remodel for cheaper. And that's what we started doing from, from that point forward. Gotcha. So you ended up in this property. It wasn't in great shape. Now, you you put this tenant in and you said you still have this person in there today. Still there, yeah. Have you have you done any work on the unit to kind of fix it up or she's been pretty happy? Really have haven't done, you know, besides your routine maintenance here and there, uh pretty much the as the day we bought it. Wow. Wow. And no complaints, no problems, no issues, huh? Nope. Well, you know, you have your occasional furnace problem here or yeah. your drain problem there, but yeah, just no upgrades, real. It's been Which kind of goes to show you that you know, you really do need to market to to uh, to the tenant that that uh, you know that that's available essentially uh, you, you know in in this particular market where you've got this particular property the tenant didn't really want or need anything else right so right. why why go ahead and spend an extra ten twenty thousand dollars or uh, five whatever to fix it up when you didn't necessarily need to and presumably right. you're not a slumlord in this property presumably the property is up to right. pretty pretty decent standards yeah and, and i and i don't i shouldn't downplay it it is a pretty nice property especially aesthetically it, it's pretty nice i just now that i've done more of these i realize that for that amount of money in, in purchase and then rehab for an all in investment we can do a lot better remodel not only quality wise as far as you know structure but as far as aesthetics also so has that been basically your your strategy? You said you know now you remodel them better than that first one. So is that your strategy right. to buy cheap houses, fix them up, and then what refinance them or something? You know, we really so at first nobody would give me a loan for anything because I made hardly any money at my old job and and the market had just tanked and so you know the banks were were not touching mortgages really. So we bought about up through our. Fifth house, we had to buy on either cash or zero percent credit cards. Really, we're talking at the time twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars houses, but nobody would give us a loan. You could, we looked high and low, and there was no chance of that. Great credit, but but uh, I guess the income or the the market we were in, people not, would not lend. So you t- you use credit card to buy properties then? We use yeah, we would. What we used to do, not I'm not talking uh, cash advance twenty uh, percent APR. Yep. There's actually some pretty good balance transfer offers that you get if you have a. Twenty twenty five thousand dollar limit, or we would actually get a few cards with seven, eight, ten thousand dollar limits. Lump them all together, and you can get thirty thousand dollars in cash off of those. And essentially, it's uh, the the fee you might pay might be maybe four percent. Yeah. But over a year, that's a pretty good rate, and you've just got to be disciplined enough to pay those off, which we, which we were able to do. So you were buying them with the with the zero percent interest, and then just paying them off over the the twelve months or whatever. As quick as we could, we were dumping anything from our job income into it, all the cash flow from the rental, whatever we could save, whatever we found in the couch, whatever we could do. So virtual <laughs> virtual hard money loan from the, from the credit card company. Essentially, yeah, and it was a risk, but but looking back at the time, I didn't have a lot to lose. I mean, I had I had basically graduated from the most expensive aviation school in the probably in the world. 
you know, I had all this student loan debt. I had this upside down house. I'm thinking I've already tried everything I'm supposed to do. So let's try something different. Yeah. But you were a pilot, man. I mean, pilots walk yeah. around, you know, the girls come <laughs> flocking, <laughs> you know, we're at least, oh wait, that was 1980. Hold on. Yeah. Or before. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's yeah, funny. not so much anymore. Nice. Now wants nice. to see that paycheck. <laughs> exactly. Well, <laughs> that's that, that. That's an industry we could we could do a whole show on, but this is a real estate <laughs> show, so we're not going to talk about that. Um, so, you know, what would your recommendation be? I I'm personally staunchly against using credit cards for this kind of thing. That's just me. It is what it is for me. Uh, Brandon has used it. He he tends to be more pro. Obviously, you used it. It, it was a circumstance where you you're downside wasn't necessarily there in your mind. Uh, so what would you tell a new investor? Do you think that they should go ahead and, and use a credit card or would that be kind of the last line of defense? I think it's uh, definitely not your top strategy there, but uh, being the way we, we did it was really to accelerate the rate that we could grow. Um, and we didn't have a lot of options. So I think uh, it should be in your bag of tricks there, but uh, definitely not your top priority. Yeah, gotcha. yeah that makes sense. So, uh, I mean, obviously the cash advance credit card thing hasn't given you 50 units, I'm assuming. So what did you do after right. that? Like how did, what happened next after these first few credit card deals? So we, we had essentially five, four or five houses free and clear at that point, And I still couldn't get a bank that would loan us money. I, I had realized at that point, uh, mostly through, uh, through getting onto bigger pockets and, and talking with people that, you can't go to the Bank of America, the Chase, the, the national conforming lenders and get mortgages, especially for these $30,000 houses at the yeah. time I was buying. So I found out um, through, through networking on there and working with people in the area that what you need is a portfolio lender. Yep. So, and what, what is a portfolio lender? For a portfolio lender is uh, usually it's a small bank or credit union that is going to write a loan and keep it on their own books. Okay. And so now I know I need this portfolio lender. I go on the internet and find a list of all banks that are potential portfolio lenders in Michigan. And again, I got that reference through somewhere on BP. I can't remember exactly what it was, but uh, if you, you Google portfolio lenders, you'll find this. I had a list of about 50 banks in my area and I sat down on the phone and I just started calling them literally one by one. I called 50 different banks and nice. uh, it was like prom night. I got like 48 no's. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I did find it was that bad, huh? I found two different banks that would actually talk to me that said, hey, we might be able to work something out. Um, I went ahead and scheduled appointments with both of those. And uh, one of those, we ended up being able to put a deal together. The guy said, yeah, you have four free and clear properties. I think we should be able to tie those together in a blanket loan and loan you money on a conservative loan to value. We're talking, uh, I was maybe $40,000 on average all in to each of those. At, that's purchase plus rehab cost. And they would loan me like 60% loan to value on that first loan against those. So I ended up getting a $100,000 blanket loan from them, which okay. to me was huge because I'd been using 0% cards up till that point. That's awesome. That's, that's, that's cool. So the, the portfolio lender kind of came in and saved the day, uh, oh, yeah. which is awesome. Uh, I've kind of found the same thing with portfolio lenders in my area. You know, there's a few of my properties where I did that. Uh, what I think is interesting is that you said you talked to 50 different, you know, portfolio lenders. I had a guy the other day on the bigger pockets. Uh, it was, it, they sent me a PM, a, you know, private message. And he said, how do I find a portfolio lender? I just don't, I can't find any around here. I talked to a few banks and I said, grab the phone book, 
call every single solitary bank in the phone book. I was like, it might be 20 or 30 of them. So I love that you did 50 of them. I said, call 20 yeah. or 30 of them. Just ask them if they do any portfolio loans. And, and uh, you know, knowing yeah. now what I, what I know and, and what I'm trying to do, I probably had a few more banks in there that would have worked with me, but I didn't know what I was even talking about really enough yep. to, I, I'm surprised this guy worked with us and we still work with them to this day. We've probably done five, six loans with the guy, the same oh, setup. Cool. Cool. Yeah, that's one of the nice things when you find somebody that will work with you. Uh, what I always find in lending, and uh, I don't know if you guys would agree with this, but I always find that the banker, I mean, I was a banker for a very short time in my life. I worked at a bank, but the banker... Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Stop. Do you know that? What? You were what? I mean, yeah, I was a personal wait, wait, banker. Wait, wait. Somebody <laughs> trusted you? A bank? I know. Amazing. Didn't you mop the floors there? <laughs> that's what I was going to say. I mean, I, no, I, I, I well, were a janitor Funny, a Funny actually story about that. That's... So like, this is like five years ago, I worked at a, at a national bank, uh, in like the lobby doing, you know, home equity line of credit and those kind of things. Anyway, one day they asked me to paint their upstairs cause they knew I knew how to paint. They paint the break room. So I did. And that's the day I turned in my notice to, to quit. Cause I thought this is way better than working at a bank. So anyway, so what I always find with lenders is it's every bank kind of has the same rules that they all play off of. I mean, even though they may say they don't, everyone kind of has the same rules. It's the banker that can push a loan through versus, you know, a hundred bankers who won't do it because they're not creative. But if you find a good lender, a good banker that can actually uh, work hard to push your loans through, they can do amazing things. So there's my uh, quick tip for the day. So Josh, why did that bank say yes where everyone else said no? You know, I, like Brandon said, I think it was the banker, um, the the guy that we had uh, started working with there. The whole commercial lending department was this one guy, and he must have thought that what we were doing would work. He, uh, like you said, he pushed the loan through, and um, and it worked. And then we did another one with him, and uh, th- we're to the point now where uh, the the a new person has taken over three or four loans ago. Um, took over that position. And this guy has gotten so close with us that he sent me a picture of his newborn baby from the emergency room. Nice. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. So, so for people who are listening, how did, you know, how did you present to this guy? Did you have a package? Did you have some kind of, you know, kit that you brought with you to him? What, what, what did that look like? The whole like, okay, let me go in, let me sit down and meet with you. What did you bring? I put together, uh, I believe on the, on the initial phone call, he had emailed me out some documentation. I put together a personal financial statement showing roughly what we look like financially. And then I put together a package of each of our properties. And, and at that time, I think it was five or so properties. Um, pictures I put together to show that you know we were improving these things nicely. Um, leases to show what they were rented for, how long the lease terms were, and uh, I really didn't even know what I was asking this guy for. He's the one that came up with the idea of um, we can do a blanket loan as a cash out refi. I was actually originally looking for something where I could go in and, and find purchase money for the new houses. Now, is, is that unusual to get a, a blanket loan with a cash out refi or, or is that, um, you, you know, you can't get that at a traditional bank, can you? Right. I can't get anything at a traditional bank <laughs> even to this day, but uh, <laughs> It, Can I open a help? checking account, please? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've basically sworn off the traditional banks um, for the most part. But for me, that's what's worked. I really go back to the same credit union every time. There are a couple of other credit unions that I've run across through different dealings that have mentioned they can do similar work. So I know for our area, it's definitely possible. And when we first started doing these, a blanket loan was unheard of back in 2009 and 10. You would think no one would do it. So I was really, you know, it was nice to find these people. And again, 
Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, again, that comes down to the banker. It was his, you know, if the other 49, you know, bankers had thought, I wonder if our underwriters would go for this. I mean, that, again, that's what sets apart an amazing banker from one not. Just somebody who thinks outside the box and says, I wonder if we could get our underwriters to do this. Um, right. Yeah. So, I, and I, I love that. Uh, I, it reminds me a lot of what Jimmy Moncrief said uh, back a few shows ago. I'm not sure what number that was, but uh, he's a bank underwriter. He was saying, you know, you've got to convince them that it's a good it's a good thing. See, the fact that you brought in all this information, those things help so much because so many people don't. They just come in and they just dump a box of stuff. And I mean, maybe you did that on your first ones too. I mean, I know I did. But I, like so many people do that. So if you can stand out, go the extra mile, do a little bit extra work, and you're going to get incredible results. That's that's my philosophy in life. So, well, cool. So what happened next after, I mean, like you're, you're getting these houses, um, Maybe we can ask you what kind of houses were they? I mean, are they are they all dumpy, like you know, need to be burned to the ground houses, or what are they? They're yeah, the neighborhoods in the areas I'm in, I really do focus on a pretty small area. Probably about a two mile radius would encompass everything we own, and wow. most of it's within about a uh, most of it's within about a half mile of where I actually live still to this day. So um, got to know the area w- real well. They're real standard cookie cutter houses. I think they built the entire city in the year of 1950 to 1952. Nice. <laughs> um, so they're all the same. They all needed about. Our average remodel right now is running about seventeen grand. That's with hiring the workout um, between seventeen and, and twenty two thousand. Okay. Um, are these three twos? What are what are they? Uh, they're all th- mostly bungalows, um, three one bungalows with a basement. Okay. Um, okay. Some of them a garage where you can get it, but that's basically the standard for the area. You don't really see many three twos. Are those finished basements or unfinished? If they're finished, I usually like to gut them unless it's a really, really nice finished basement. I actually tend to, to go the route to gut it and just make it nice and clean. We paint the ceilings, the floors, the walls. Um, it's way less hassle. Interesting. If, if you have a finished basement and you have any kind of water issue, you're gutting the thing then. Yep. Yeah, that's a good tip. That's a good tip. Um, so you're going in, you're buying these you know, houses that are in, they're decent neighborhoods, you said, right? I mean, you live there. So I think so. Be. I live in that neighborhood, yeah. you know, in the same neighborhood right now. Okay. And so what are they, I mean, typically, what are you buying them for? You said you're putting in around 20000 and then what are they renting for? So at a good point in the market, we were buying them for anywhere from twenty five to 30000 Now that same house is going to cost me, I just bought one about two weeks ago that was 40000 okay. identical house to the ones I was buying. Again, I'm putting between 17 and 20 into them, and pretty much every one of those will rent for at least a thousand a month right now. Nice. If it doesn't have a garage, it might be 975, and and if you have a a little bit bigger addition on it, you might get up to 1075. Yeah, well, those are those are good numbers. I mean, those are just yeah. about like two percent rule. I mean, they're those are good solid yeah, numbers. Almost, for a while, it was pretty easy to hit the two percent rule, but but with the market increasing, not quite as easy anymore. Yeah, that makes sense. And you, let's let's really cover really quickly cover that for those people who don't know. Two percent rule says what? Two two. I actually do it a little bit backwards. I like to do a quick fifty times rent. So okay, if it yeah. rents for a thousand a month, I want to be all in for uh, fifty thousand dollars. There you go. Yep, I like. Yeah, it's it's nice to think about the two percent rule that way. Um, well, cool. All right, so. You got these properties, you are renting them all out. Are you managing them yourself? Do you have property management? I mean, how are you doing that? Yeah, I am. I, I did get out of doing the rehabs. I did about the first seven or so rehabs on my own. And I actually, with that first blanket loan, we bought about four properties within, I don't know, 30 days of each other. I realized I can't do these rehabs anymore. Nice. So I've got out of that work, but I still do all the management work. I hi- Basically, if it's maintenance, it gets hired out. And, and I receive all phone calls. 
I still deal with the collection issues when they come up um, and, and essentially the management of the tenants. So you're, you're working a full-time job. How on earth do you manage a property, taking phone calls and, and dealing with uh, tenants and everything else while, while working a full-time job? Uh, you know, really, the, especially on the houses, I, I uh, talked with Brandon a little bit earlier. Um, the, we have an apartment building also at 24 units. That's a good chunk of those units. That takes quite a bit of work. I think that's probably 80, 90% of my work right now, especially with the turnaround on that. But uh, I don't think on my 25 houses that we have right now, should be 26 this week. I, I don't think I spend more than five hours a month on that. Wow. Yeah, I'm probably the same way. I think I said something similar to Ben Labovich a few weeks ago, where that uh, on that podcast, that long one we did with him, where uh, I feel like my houses don't take hardly any work to manage. It's just those that multifamily. The multifamilies take a lot more work to manage. But I almost multi- want my own unit at the apartment building because I'm out there so much. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's talk about that. I mean, you know, I think it's there's an important distinction, and and I think it has to do with how people look at the property that they're in. You know, I, my theory is you look at a house as your own place. You know, this is my place. You know, there's four walls. You don't have other people next, you know, uh, on adjoining walls. You've got a lawn or something. Uh, whereas in an apartment, you know, you're stuck in, in a building with other people and, and uh, you, you don't have as much pride in, in ownership or in rentalship, so to speak. Uh, would, sure. would you guys agree that that's kind of the theory behind that? I, I would. And I, I actually think it comes back to the amount of rehab you put on to it. And so even if I am over rehabbing these a little bit, the quality of tenant, some of our tenants are doctors and lawyers. I mean, we have tenants that, that are, I think, extremely high quality and, and it just improves the whole bottom line. Plus, people tend not to move, which creates a lot of work and costs a lot of money every time you have a vacancy. I think vacancy is like an emergency situation. So yeah. people, So you think people aren't moving as much in houses as, as they are in apartments. And I would agree, but, but not only houses, but nicely rehab houses. My logic is if someone needs to rent and they cannot find a cheaper house or a nicer house, then they're not going to move. So if you price your, your property right at, or just maybe slightly below market and make it nicer than everything else, your turnover, we ran above 99% occupancy the last two years on the houses. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Yeah. That's great. So well, you got you got to look at the cost to move. I mean, the cost to move isn't yeah. cheap. So you right. know, figure that out. If, if you're going to save a couple bucks to, to go live in a new place, it's, it's probably not worth it. Yeah. Right. You, you know, one aspect that people don't talk about very often, and, and I'd like to get your, your thought on this. And that is, you know, I, I say that single family houses are easier to manage in my opinion and multifamilies are nice because everything's right there, right? But single families just require less work. The thing that nobody talks about, though, is the amount of work, at least for me, that goes into insurance. Insurance is hands down the biggest time <laughs> I spend, my wife spends. I mean, we have a fire insurance. No, not like a little fire, but like not a literal fire, but we have like a insurance fire to take care of every week, maybe two a week with all of our properties. And that's like half of my wife's day is spent dealing with the insurance companies on just things like your insurance has been canceled. Oh, your rate's been, you know, you don't have adequate insurance. And then we have to send them a letter saying, yes, we well, do. because you're a deadbeat, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> no, like it's we really had, uh, like there's so many like stupid rules with insurance. When you have 50 properties, you know, like if they're 50 single family houses, you get 50 letters a year from insurance. If you have one multifamily, you get one letter. So that for that well, reason alone, I take multifamily. 
But anyway, it's just like the uh, B2R finance is trying to do for the financing side of it. Now, there really is no one for insurance that's made to mm-hmm. to handle, you know, over uh, over 10 properties. They really start to shut you down. Yep. Um, and I had I had a similar insurance fire about a year ago where I found out with uh, two weeks notice that our rates were essentially going to double. Um, I wish I had more notice on it, but I was able to uh, scramble and find somebody who would cover them. Um, but it's just a matter of time until the same thing happens again. So yeah. what does what insurance cost on a forty thousand, what sixty thousand dollar house in Detroit? So I not Detroit, <laughs> Detroit <laughs> adjacent. <laughs> um, I insure them all for cash value. I think that's the number one. I mean, uh, if you go to State Farm or anybody off the table, they're going to want to insure for replacement costs. Replacement cost on one of these is about one hundred eighty to two hundred thousand. Um, so you're paying expensive rates. I insure for cash value. I uh, usually will do it for about 60 because I figure, again, it's not emotional. I'm all into this house for 60 or less. Uh, if if it burned to the ground, I would just go buy another one that reproduces the same income. Yeah. Yep. So that's my logic. Um, and I'm actually, with, with my insurance issue I had last year, changing companies, I actually lowered my rates. So I'm anywhere between 330 and about $360 per house per year. Uh, do you follow a similar uh, um, premise there, Brandon, on your properties? Are you going cash or, or replacement yeah, value? I do the exact same thing, cash value, generally. Um, on some of my partnerships that I work with people, the partner feels a little bit uncomfortable with that. You know, they, they're used to homeowner stuff, so they want it full coverage or you know, uh, replacement value. So there's a couple that I, that I give in on that, and we have... Yeah. Higher and I, there are actually a couple insurance companies where I, I've gotten cheaper rates by having replacement uh, value. It's uncommon, but I've seen that a few times. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, all right. So, so my next question is one that I don't really know that we've asked, but uh, previously, you've got these properties. These are single-family homes. What are the tenants responsible for? You know, I as as somebody who who wants to go and buy a single-family uh, rental property. You know, how do I know? What do I take care of? Do I, do I buy it? Get a lawn service? Do they have to mow the lawn? Do I, you know, get tree trimming, or do they have to trim the tree? Like, what 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 do you cover? What do you do? What are they responsible for taking care of? Basically, we try to put it that the uh, the tenants are responsible for essentially everything. Again, I think that's the other benefit over the apartment building in a way. Yeah. Um, so definitely lawn service, uh, tree trimming. We might handle tree trimming because that's a little bit more uh, of a random occurrence, but anything routine, lawn service, we even put into our leases that they're responsible for pest control. If you have a pest issue, now I'll I'll cover it maybe right up front the first month, but if they've been there three years and now they have mice, uh, that's their fault. Yeah. Yeah. So those things. And then definitely all utilities, uh, you know, gas, electric, and uh, in Michigan, water can be leaned to the property if it's not paid. So we get our all the water bills at our office. We pay them all ourselves, and then we bill the tenants. That's actually my biggest workload with the single families is sending out water bills every month. Takes we do, an hour or two. Yeah, we do the same thing with uh in, in not not Washington State, but one of our towns refuses to let tenants pay water bills because they got stiff so many times. So they require the owner to pay it. So I have to pay it, and I bill all the tenants, and then they don't pay, and then I got to bill them again and bug them. And do I evict over them not paying an eighty dollar water bill? Yes. I, I mean, you do, but yeah, I like. That yeah. is such an annoyance to my to my business. I don't know. Every everybody yeah. in that town deals with that. Get out of town, man. Find another <laughs> town. No, seriously. I mean, I I, I I'm serious. I do. I don't like buy a, a lot. Very yeah. landlord unfriendly town. Yeah, I I've been moving a lot of my investing more towards where I live, which is you know Montesano instead of Hoquim, which is that town. So what? So on these on these uh, things that the tenants are responsible for, say lawn. You know, do you require them to use? 
uh, a certain vendor? Uh, do you, you know, how, how do you kind of manage that? I try, you know, I, I feel that trying to micromanage every little thing is just a recipe for disaster. I mean, I, I'm a control freak, don't get me wrong. But if you try to control every aspect of what a tenant does, my first house, that, that uh, rehab that we bought ready to rent, um, that her kids had marked on the baseboard, had drawn on the wall, essentially, before she even signed the lease. And I almost had a nervous breakdown there. But, but I since <laughs> learned to, you got to let this stuff go a little bit. So I tell the tenants, if you don't cut your lawn, the city will come and cut it for you for $250 each time. So that's up to you and you'll get the ticket. And that seems to work. <laughs> yeah. Nice. 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 Now that's great. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Listeners, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. They've rolled out proof of income verification. Let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. And if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for just $1. How great of a deal is that? That's one eighth of a Chipotle. That's pretty good. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor, to get six months of rent ready for $1. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, 
Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go on a little bit. I want to talk about, you mentioned that you've done, like before the show, you told me you did one flip and I wanted to ask you about that. What was sure. that? Why did you do one flip and why only one flip? Why are you not a flipper? Like, what you, uh, what you can tell you us? Know, I've, I've always wanted to flip. I mean, heck, why would you not want to make uh, a bunch of money real quick, right? Yep. Um, so last year, we had some uh, finance, we had a line of credit set up where they had a requirement. It was paid down every 12 months. So it was perfect for flipping. So uh, we went out, found a good house to flip, uh, did the rehab, standard rehab like we do on our remodels. We ended up, uh, we bought the house for 50. We were into it for 17000 exactly. I think I was within like $100 of my budget just by a stroke of luck. Nice. Um, we sold it for one hundred five with multiple offers the first day on the market. So it was great. We ended up netting after all uh, commissions and whatnot. My wife's an agent now also. That helps. But uh, we ended up netting about 27000 on it. Nice. For owning the place about three months. I went by there about 20 times. It was great. Uh, but still, even with that, um, as we went to list it, um, I actually tried to keep it as a rental. My wife had to say, no, <laughs> we said we were going to flip this one and we're going to flip it. I, I, I love the passive income. I, you know, yep. the flip was great, but I love that, uh, that passive. I'm, I'm still, uh, always focused on building that. Okay. Right on. Yeah. Yeah, How are you finding cool. these deals where, are, you know, you, you had mentioned some of them were REOs. Is that mm-hmm. all you're doing or are you doing any kind of marketing? Uh, no, I, I, I haven't been doing any marketing. It's basically all REOs. Up until this point, it's been, uh, I believe, almost entirely off the MLS with the exception of our apartment building. Um, and that got real competitive about a year ago, a year and a half ago now. So uh, my wife got her license. So we have now MLS access. And that's what we do when it's uh, essentially when the funds come around, when it's time to buy a new property, which hopefully happens often. We get on the MLS and we go on a uh, on a shopping spree here. We will come up with twenty or so listings and go look at them all in a day. Nice, and write a couple offers and get what we can. That's cool. awesome. So, it's, it's it's like going down to Saks, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let me go buy some shoes. No, I want to buy houses. <laughs> so, so today, what are you doing for financing today? Like you said, you were closing on one this week. Uh, how are you managing that or getting so the financing? So I still do the uh, the commercial blanket loans, like I've been doing. That's okay. definitely our our main uh, supply of funds, and that's that's been great. It's they're easier to do, and and the terms are good. It's awesome. You can, can you explain again? Offers. Can you explain again, kind of big picture? how that how that's works you know like sure. I, I got so, the earlier you said they got the first you know four under a blanket but how's it working now yep. that's essentially it's just a rinse and repeat so uh we started with that first one and we'll have four or five free and clear properties uh, we'll go to the lender with those now they want to do appraisals uh, because we have so many loans with them so it costs me you know a few hundred bucks per property but they'll do a bunch of appraisals and now they'll loan me 75 percent of the appraised value 
So usually four or five at a time and the loans have gone up, but the last loan we did was $260,000 for that. So it, uh, it's enough that we can go out and spend that to acquire more property and okay. we just keep rents and repeat. Okay. That's, that, um, that's cool. We're also trying to tie up. I, I've always wanted to tie up some of this record low interest rate money right now, right? I've always wanted to tie up some 30 year financing, you know, at 5% interest. But um, even with a much better income at my job now and all this rental income, I was still getting turned down by banks, mainly because we don't fit that conventional mold. I'm sure you don't either, Brandon. Uh, you you yep. send them your income statement, you have 20 some odd properties on there and they basically throw it in the trash, I feel like. And, and <laughs> we never, we, we could never get anywhere. Um, I've you guys are weird. In December, <laughs> in, in, uh, December of uh, this past year, we closed our first uh, loan with conventional financing ever um, that was intended for rental. And we, we did a home path. They do, they have 10% down mortgages for home path. And it was excellent. Uh, there was no appraisal required. So no upfront out of, out of pocket cost. 10% down. We bought a little bit more expensive house because of that. Um, and it worked great. Um, so I'm in the process of closing another one this week. How does that work? Explain the, the home path mortgage. So can I go and find any property and buy any property and go to, go to home path and get a, a mortgage with a 10% down or, or, or is this like no, a special so, property? Explain that. Right. So, um, if you're, if you're out looking, you actually come across a lot more than you would think, at least in this area. But, um, but there'll be homes that are advertised as Fannie Mae Home Path, and there's there's either Home Path or Home Path Renovation. So Home Path loans, you could get you you could do a ten percent down loan on that for up to four mortgages. The renovation mortgages, they'll actually give you money towards the rehab cost. I haven't done that because I hear that it's pretty cumbersome as far as uh, getting draws for contractors. But you then find a property that's Home Path. And go to your lender. We're using one out of California right now, um, so they're all over the place. Um, you have a home path qualified property, and they do a loan back through home path at ten percent down. It's a great problem. So, so cool. do you do you get the loan from any kind of lender? And does that well? Can any lender finance the loan? And they would just have to use the Fannie program, or would you have to go on Google and look for a lender who only does uh, home path or who does home path mortgages? Yes, it, most lenders, I believe, do it, but you need to find a lender that will do home path mortgages. And I, um, I actually had to specify one that would do them at ten percent down because still, I think with all the different financing Dodd Frank and all the the rules that have changed over the last couple of years, there's still lenders that think that it's twenty percent down minimum or twenty five for an investment property. So you've got to be. I specifically wanted a ten percent down home path loan. And to clarify, you can you can actually get a ten percent home path loan on a property intended to be an investment property. Yes, I couldn't believe it either, but I did wow. it. For a fact, in December, I'm doing it right now too. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's wow. very that's very cool. I've never actually done a home path before. I I almost bought one once, but we ended up just doing conventional financing for whatever reason. I don't remember why. But and again, um, it goes back to what I didn't know. I probably bought fifteen home path properties in the last <laughs> four years that I didn't know I could have done this the whole yeah, time. So. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, that's cool. Well, hey, let's move on to uh, a topic that I'm a big fan of, and we, we touched on it briefly earlier, and that is the apartment complex. Oh, you seriously? Ah, we love. <laughs> I love talking apartment complex. Is that all you guys talk about? No, uh, well, uh, no. Josh is just a I whiner. Mean, uh, <laughs> All no, right, we 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 love talking about this stuff. Yeah. So you bought a apartment complex. You said it was twenty four units, right? Yes. How did that come about? Can you tell us the story of how you found it and 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 financed it? Yeah, sure. It's it? actually a good story. Um, I, you know, just like most people, I've always wanted to get into the apartment complexes mainly because the scale of it. 
Um, I, I mean, I see myself one day, you know, doing units or complexes in the couple hundred unit range. So we had, uh, come across a broker through a mutual friend and gone out and started to look at some buildings in the 20 to 40 unit range, looked at a couple. Um, and this one was one of them. This is about two years ago. We went ahead and, and wrote a, a letter of intent, which is basically an offer uh, for an apartment building, um, and we started negotiating with the sellers. Uh, they, at that point, decided that they thought the market was turning around and they would be able to, uh, to get this building back up to standard, and they decided not to sell it. Fast forward to this past summer, which has been, had been about two years lapsed there, and the original owners had actually looked my wife up on Facebook. He, had, uh, he must have known her through high school or some college or something and uh, said, hey, are you guys still interested in buying that apartment complex that you looked at two years ago? Nice. Of, of course, sure, if, if the price is right. So uh, we went out, uh, looked at it, started the process over again, and uh, they had basically run the thing into the ground. Um, they had a, Back in 2006, the, uh, the old owners had bought the property for $900,000 and uh, we ended up settling on five fourteen for it. So they had Ooh. lost half its value. Wow. Uh, and as you know, multifamily is, is all based on net operating income. So they had based, it was forty five percent occupancy, a ton of deferred maintenance. It was a mess. That's cool. That's cool. So you so you bought it at forty five percent vacancy, uh, which means uh, occupancy. occupancy. Yeah, occupancy. <laughs> and uh, uh, what were the empty units like? Were they all okay, or did they need a lot of work? No, to get? I mean, again, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I over rehab. I mean, I, I really yeah. do. Uh, so, I, to me, it wasn't even close to cutting it. Uh, some of them were okay as far as clean and basic, um, but I wanted to see a higher quality unit and therefore a higher quality tenant in there. So that's what we started doing. We started rehabbing the vacant units, and we were putting, you know, eight to ten thousand dollars into them. That for that we could do a kitchen, a bathroom, all new flooring, all new doors, light fixtures. Um, and it's a lot of money to put into an apartment unit, but, uh, the way I justified it was if I put 10,000 into it, it, I can raise the rent a hundred dollars a month. I proved that time and time again, because these things rent pretty quick once they're rehabbed. So that adds $1,200 a year to the net operating income, right? Yep. So if you add a 10 cap, that is $12,000. Yep. So I've therefore, in theory, got my money back already as soon as I can show it consistently rented. Yep. Nice. That makes sense. Nice. So, so what, did, what did this thing end up? Uh, well, where is it today? What kind of vacancy rate do you have right now? Uh, right now, we are at 92% occupancy. And we, we just nice. bought it. We closed on Halloween last year. So I, I'm pretty wow. happy with that. The roughest five months or so of the year to rent. And we basically almost got this thing full. The two that we don't have rented are ones that we're finishing rehabs on right now. So, wow. so you spent 514 bought it 45% occupancy. Yeah. Uh, at a ten cap, where are we at today? What's what's that thing worth? I th- I think we've actually added close to four hundred thousand in value. I think it's back up to that nine hundred thousand range with everything rented because I've increased some of these rents significantly. And nice. what, what did you put into it? Uh, I've got only I've got somewhere between eighty five and hundred into it. Mostly about I did six units so far at uh, uh, about ten grand per unit, give or take. I did a few uh, furnaces or whatnot, which up that. And then we did a little bit of exterior work, which was really one of the first couple of things we did. We did some new siding and just to show that uh, there was new life in the property. Yeah, and, yeah. and I'll tell you the phone, I, I actually have a waiting list for people to get into it right now because uh, we're trying to finish these last two units. That's, that's so incredible. It's been really going well. I think the old owners just weren't giving it attention. Yeah. And for, and for those people listening who don't understand commercial that well yet, uh, that's the power of the multiplier, right? I mean, that's. I still don't understand commercial that well. <laughs> You're, you're, you're there, man. You're, you're getting there. No, but that's, I mean, that really is the power, you know, by, by 
improving uh, NOI by filling vacancies, by raising rents, by getting right. supplemental income, you know, you're increasing the value of this property. You could probably go and get a, you know, refinance that thing, take some cash out and use that to go and buy more property, right? That's the plan. And, you know, that goes back to, for me, that goes back to why I don't really like to flip as much. Uh, I know I got to follow Jay Scott on this, which is terrible. <laughs> but, uh, but why I don't like to flip. You're doing fine, man. <laughs> you've got, you, you've got, uh, you've got all these aspects on a, on a uh, buy and hold. You've got your cash flow. You've got your potential appreciation. You've got your depreciation for tax purposes, which I found out helped quite a bit this year. Uh, you've got the principal pay down just from the tenant paying the, the rent every month and you paying your mortgage. And then I'll steal this from uh, Jason Hartman. It's another uh, podcast out there, but he calls it inflation induced debt destruction. So what other asset can you buy something at today's prices and then pay this off in 30 years? Whatever the inflation has done to that, it's going to at least have doubled the, the value of the money there. Uh, it, for all those reasons, compounded, I think, long term, that's the, uh, I think that's the way to go, to build wealth. Yeah, that's awesome. Hold, I, I agree. Hold. So do you feel like you're in over your head on this property or at, at, <laughs> at any point? I, I mean, it sounds like everything's going well. You got a couple of units that you're fixing up and you're going to get those filled. You'll be at 100% or somewhere thereabout. Uh, should should other investors consider taking on similar type projects? Or, you know, when at what point, knowing what you know now, if you could go back, would you have bought a multi earlier? And at what point do you think you would have been qualified? Well, I know the day we closed on this apartment building, I went out there with my wife right after the closing and we're just trying to get our heads around what we're going to do. Uh, at the closing, the uh, old owners handed us a freezer-sized Ziploc bag of keys, just loose keys, and said, here you go. That's exactly what happened for me as well. That's exactly what happened. I didn't know what opened the washers, what opened the doors. I had units I couldn't even get into. It was yeah. a total mess. Um, so I was in way over my head, but... Uh, so haven't I been on, on most things I've ever done, really. I mean, I'm, I've been much more of a ready, fire, aim kind of guy. And I think <laughs> that's really one of the keys to uh, to actually making it is to having the balls to try it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, well, Jay, Jay Scott's Jay, with something. I was going to say, yeah. Jay Scott, yeah, he, he said, doesn't know anybody who, who's done just one flip, right? Yeah, he, he said it. Yeah, people do one, they do lots, or they're going to do lots, yeah. The same thing. Yeah. Action. It's all about taking action. Um, mm-hmm. So, do you recommend other people uh, get into a, a you know buildings like that, like that big of a project? Are you you know you advocate of that? I mean, it's. Uh, I'm glad we got into it. I definitely have learned a ton. It's been a real steep learning curve. Um, I think having the single family background has been huge, though. I, I think right off the bat, that's probably not the best thing to get into because it's going to eat your lunch. How, how so? What do you mean? As in uh, the tenant management, the, the tenants are a much more yep. management intensive type of, of group you're working with. Uh, you're dealing with stuff you don't deal with on single families. For example, noise complaints, uh, window, what we pay heat there, window wide open with the heat blasting, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are, these are touchy subjects you got to deal with um, all day long. And I'm just, I didn't have to do that with houses. So it's tough. Um, but in the end, uh, I think it's going to end up being a worthwhile endeavor that we did here and also banks like to lend on these from what i'm told quite a bit more i know my commercial guy is is real excited about refinancing this so i was going to ask how how did you finance this particular property uh this one was run so far into the ground if you will that uh the owners had to sell it on land contract 
Um, there was no bank that was going to finance this thing at 45% occupancy with all that deferred maintenance they had and whatnot. So um, again, back to the blanket loans, we had just closed a, uh, a larger blanket loan and uh, we ended up putting $120,000 down on it, financed the 394000 balance on a land contract. Uh, they give us a five-year balloon on that. I figured that should be more than enough time to get this thing turned around. And uh, we took over. You know, it's, you know, it's interesting. It, whenever we talk, like, you know, email back and forth or talk like this, how similar you and I are. I mean, even to the numbers on our buildings, like uh, you have a 24 unit, I have a 24 unit. I bought mine at 45%. uh, I got to go guys. Have a good time. (laughs) You guys want to keep holding hands? No, no, it's like, what is this love fest? It's so, it's so similar. Like every bit of the numbers you're saying is almost identical to what mine was. So I totally totally get with you the other day yeah well the other day what you were saying about uh, your lenders excited to refinance it i had an hour-long talk with the commercial uh, lender one of the commercial lenders in my town and yeah he's super excited we were like brainstorming all these cool ideas and he was like totally like into like like we were both like feeding off each other on cool stuff to do and that kind of goes back to what we were talking about way earlier is finding that that guy that you can uh you know, do that with. It's, it's amazing. Oh, it's nice. On my last blanket loan, he actually came to me and said, we're ready for another one if you guys are. And I said, yeah, I think we are. Nice. <laughs> so That's awesome. It's, kept, it, nice. it's like the wheel kept going. Josh, how do you find dependable labor, right? You, you've, 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 you're rehabbing you. all these properties. You're going to ask me? I don't know. That's a good <laughs> question. All right. How do you, go, I mean, you've got, you know, you're, you've got all these units going on. Surely you've got some handymen and uh, some contractors how did you go about finding these guys? Because I think this is probably one of the hardest things for investors to do. Yeah, it is. It's, it's still tough for me right now. Um, as far as my handyman work, I've really got one guy that I use for across everything. Um, step number one is I made sure that uh, once I found a good guy, I, I took care of him. I, I paid him fair. I paid him on time. Um, I treated him well. I, I gave him as much work as I could. Um, so he wants to work for us. Um, Essentially, we've, we've got it systematized now to where um, I'll either send him a uh, request in our property management software or a quick text message. He'll go ahead and call my tenant, schedule the repair, everything. So as soon as I get that maintenance call, I'm hands off. That's been nice. Um, and then as far as contractors on these rehabs, uh, same thing. I've got the same crew I've been using for several years. I have used a couple additional crews when we really had a high demand for it, but my main crew uh, I try to take care of them on time. I try to, you know, pay them fair uh, and and keep work coming for them. Try to keep projects lined up for them. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, lately I've been, uh, you know, I've talked about it on the podcast. People who listen to the show all the time will will know that I say this. Like we struggle with finding good, dependable contractors all the time. So lately, me and my wife have just taken this really proactive approach to we're going to find a ton of good contractors right now. And like every day, we we put ads on Craigslist. We're renewing them all the time. We're interviewing people. Right. Like we've got now a list of probably a dozen that we're trying out every day. We try out a new one because it seems like there's a new project every day that we're dealing with. So yeah. we're coming up with That's that list. That's been my holdup before because you don't really, in my experience, I, you don't look for a contractor until you actually have a project. Exactly. That That's it. the problem. And then you're in this crunch where you're like, okay, I'll take the best I can get. Yep. That's exactly the problem is everyone's reactive, not proactive. And right. uh, I like that idea. I should try that myself. You should try it. It's working really well. I mean, we got, yeah, we're trying. And like we just require in the ad, they have to be licensed and bonded. That way we're not dealing with uh, people calling and saying, yeah, you know, I'll work yeah. for a pack of cigarettes. So what would they, they still call? <laughs> We just, we filter through them quickly. So, um, you mentioned your property management software. Uh, what are you using right now to manage your stuff? 
I, I started with the purchase of that apartment building. We started with Buildium, and I've mm-hmm. actually rolled all of the houses onto that as the first of this year. Okay, cool. I are pl- yeah. you pretty happy with that? Yeah, it was, you know, uh, at first it was real tough to get used to, mainly the accounting side of it, because I came from uh, just doing my own Excel spreadsheets. I'm kind of a spreadsheet junkie. I, yeah, I feel like, uh, what's the quote? What gets measured gets managed. Yeah. So I have spreadsheets for everything. And it was frustrating that Buildium didn't have the same spreadsheets that I had and obviously the same methods that, that I use. So learning their way was hard, but now I'm, I love the thing. Nice, nice. All right, so it, before we go on to the, to the next section here, uh, you had mentioned uh, that you're a strong believer in living below your means. Uh, that was you know, in, our, in our kind of pre-interview notes. We've, we've got right. that. Um, can you elaborate, talk a little bit about what, what does that mean for you? Well, I, you know, uh, I'll compare it to, uh, to my job I have now. I work with uh, guys, and, and we make very fair salaries for what we do. Um, what is your job now, by the way? I'm an air traffic controller now. So you're not flying anymore? I still have my own small general aviation airplane, but I'm not flying for hire for people anymore. It's a way better way to do it. So, so nice. while, while planes are flying around, you're getting text messages from tenants and totally distracted. I'm a little worried. Where, where are you a traffic controller? I'll, I'll be sure not to fly in that area. Detroit Metro, but... Uh, oh, well, I'm never yeah. coming there anyway. They, they don't want me. I get back to the tenants. It's usually nothing's life or death there. Yeah, um, that's, that's true, actually. Like, nothing's hardly ever that important as much yeah, as they want to... Yeah, you an hour later. I tell people, if you call or text me, if I'm not back to you within an hour, that means I didn't get it. And and the way our job works, it's great for that. I get, you know, we're we're never working for usually more than an hour without a break. And so I'll take a break and go return a couple phone calls. Nice, nice. nice. All right, so living below your means. <clears throat> so, uh, again, I see these guys that make good money that I work with that... Um, that are just strapped to the brink. Uh, there was a small little government shutdown. If you remember this year, we ended up getting one day off unpaid. They were talking about doing one day every Ooh. pay period. It's a small portion of what you're going to make. We had people literally looking for loans to sustain their lifestyle because they've inflated it so much. And to me, I just I, I couldn't believe it. Um, you I, you see it all the time, all everywhere you look. Um, the biggest thing, the biggest factor besides uh, maybe the, the commercial lender we found in our growth of our business has been living drastically below our means. Plus, it's easier to replace your, jo- your, your lifestyle or to be financially independent yeah. if you only need to li- make $30,000 a year to live. Yeah. yeah. And at some point, obviously, your, your income from your rental portfolio is going to you know, catch up or pass that of your full-time job. And then you have a decision to make, do we keep working so we can expand right. our, our lifestyle or do, do we, uh, you know, bow out? And, yeah. Know? I'm, I'm at the point now where I, that's always been my goal was to replace the job income and, and quit my job. And we're at the point now where that's very feasible. It's now a matter of, do I really want to quit my job? I actually really like my job. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure I will. I'm actually maybe going to look into going part-time or do, you know, scale back the work. So it's more for the joy of actually going in there and not so much for the money of it. But uh, that's a tough, tough thing to give up. And I'm, yeah. I'm sure the banks, though, when you go to them and, and they see that you have a nice, stable job, been there for you know a while, you make a decent income, it's a lot easier to get those loans, like things like the blanket loans, when you're like yeah. that. That would get more they, troublesome. They have definitely mentioned that that helps a lot. So yep. that's good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool. All right, well, let's go on and move to the next section of the show, which we like to call the fire round. It's time for the fire round. All right, the fire round. These questions all come from the Bigger Pockets forum. So we're going to fire match you and see what you say. 
Number one, would you rent to a tenant that offered to pay six months rent up front but had no references? That's a good question. Probably. Um, depending on the property. At the apartment building, I would. The way I see it is six months rent. How much damage can they possibly do? And if in six months I have to evict them, I'm already coming out ahead financially. Uh, one of my houses, maybe not so much. So it was now, all cash from a guy named Vladimir. <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. They would definitely still have to pass the background check. No offense uh, to anyone named Vladimir that might be listening. <laughs> by the way. Right. right. I'm, my biggest fear renting to somebody at the apartment building like that would be uh, I don't want someone to disturb the other tenants because I don't want one tenant to cost me, uh, you know, 12. Yeah. Well, here's, here's an interesting thing. Somebody actually offered to me a while ago. They wanted to pay... Uh, like six months or three months rent up front, but they didn't really qualify. But what they wanted wasn't just to like pay a big chunk at the beginning. I guess here's what the problem was. They wanted to pay six months rent up front so they wouldn't have to pay rent for six months, but they didn't make enough income to qualify. They just got their tax return. So the problem I looked at, I said, okay, well, yes, I would get six months rent, but after that point, you only make a thousand dollars a month and rent 600. You're not going to pay rent. Yeah, I'm going to evict you. And at that point, like, you know, six months from now, I'm going to lose a lot of money on you. So I didn't do it. it. Had they made enough income and the reference thing, I'm the same way. I probably would still do it without the references, but. Right. Yeah. I think cool. it comes down to how difficult is it? Do you have 10 people knocking down your door to rent the uh, unit or do you have uh, one person every month calling you? Yep. Yeah. yeah. And it comes down to just a financial decision for me. Yeah. yeah. All right. Next question. If a newbie has only one rental property, but is expecting to acquire more, do you recommend they create an LLC, some kind of entity to put the property in? I do, depending on your state. In Michigan, it cost me $50 to create an LLC. Not very hard. Um, an attorney can modify a, a boilerplate uh, operating agreement for you, which you should definitely have uh, for, again, not very expensive. Um, I waited till I had about five properties for my wife and I to create our LLC. And trying to go transfer all those properties on our own was a nightmare. At the Register of Deeds office we had to go to, they, uh, they looked at us like we were foreign. We had, we had to go <laughs> to, the, to the desk five different times to make corrections, and it was just a nightmare transferring properties. Yep. So, yep. so you would say upfront, just do open it. up an LLC and put yeah. that first rental property into the LLC. Plus, then you're that much more invested in the business. You have that much more incentive to, just, to go ahead and grow it. And I do think, you have one LLC per, per unit or, or do you put multiple properties in a single my LLC? My logic has always, people, people sometimes criticize that you should have multiple LLCs depending on the, you know, number of, uh, the amount of equity in each LLC. My logic has been if you can put a 24-unit apartment building in an LLC or a 100-unit apartment building in an LLC – then why can't I put 25 houses in it also um, and cover it with a, an umbrella insurance policy? And then I try to go back and leverage my houses on the backside with a blanket law. Yep. That's smart. Smart. Yeah. I like it. Uh, next question. What type of flooring would you install in a higher end unit? Uh, I, out here, all the houses have uh, original hardwood, which refinishes. It's, it's beautiful. Um, you can stain it however you like. We do all a, a nice cherry stain on them all. Um, and it looks good and it holds up good. So I use it for everything. Great. If not, definitely laminate over carpet where, where you can. I only do carpet in the bedrooms. Okay, cool. Cool. Right on. What do you do about a tenant who has a dog that barks incessantly? And, and I guess the question is, do you allow dogs? But we'll get there. Uh, the tenant paid the security deposit, but their neighbor's threatening to call the police. What do you do? Okay, for us, um, I usually let the neighbor handle that. You, again, I feel like you can't control every little thing. 
you, if you have a dog that's driving a, a neighbor crazy, that's going to be between the neighbor and that tenant. I try not to get involved, short of maybe letting the tenant know that this neighbor is going to call the police on you. Uh, and for that reason, we don't allow dogs at our apartment building because they will be barking and disturbing everyone, and I'll be getting one of those calls per day. Yep. Cool. Gotcha. All right. Final question of the fire round. What projects do you deem as DIY? Um, nothing now. I've actually made it to the point where uh, nice. I can have a screen door handle that's coming off and I purposely won't do it myself because I feel like I, I need to focus on more e-myth mentality, more using my uh, my time for better use than, than putting a handle on a door. Yeah. That's great. I've been actually trying really hard lately to make a point to not do stuff. Even if, it, like, even if I'm there and I have a screwdriver in my car, yep. I've been trying to just for principle, make a point not to do it and rather pay somebody. And You have to. Otherwise, yeah. I feel like you never get out of that. Yeah, I think you, yeah, exactly. you have to draw that line in the sand. And I'm not very good at it yet. Like I still, <laughs> you know, I, I fall down sometimes and I go and put up right. a door or something. But, oh, you know, I, I, uh, yeah. we went and painted one of our rentals a year ago because my painters uh, blew us off last minute. And I thought, yep. I'm paying you guys how much to paint this place? Yep. I realized after that weekend that it was well worth what I was paying them. Yep, I yeah. regret it every time I do it. I always say, oh, I could go do this. I go do it. And then I'm like, <laughs> Oh, I'm stupid. I'm an idiot. You know, like you think about it ahead yeah. of time. It's really easy. Whatever. It's 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. and three hours it's working later. on your business versus in your business. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, cool. for sure. Fantastic. All right. Well, with that, why don't we move to the famous four? This is the famous four, our famous four questions that we ask everybody at the end of each show. And uh, we'll start this one with your favorite real estate book. I've got to go rich dad, poor dad. Cool. All right. All right. Sorry, I know, but it's good. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I, I agree. All right. What is your favorite business book? Um, I actually, I don't think anyone's said this. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I like Warren Buffett, The Snowball. Somebody actually really did like just it. say that. Just say, I'd yeah, never heard not. of it, for, but it was just like a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I don't remember what show it was. It, but was, yeah. it was a couple of shows ago. Yeah. Somebody just mentioned it. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you're not original. Sorry, Josh. Wah, wah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which one are you talking to? Uh, both. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, cool. So yeah, the, I've not read that one yet, but now that two people have recommended it, I kind of have to. Yeah. Uh, what about hobbies? Hobbies, uh, skiing. I've, uh, I grew up out in Lake Tahoe. I still, I actually just got back from a trip there last week. Still love that. Uh, play on a softball team out here. I uh, obviously love the flying. Uh, we have our small little Cherokee that we take up, uh, nice. as much as I can. Not enough, but, uh, love that. Nice. Awesome. I, I love that. I mean, you manage 50 units now. You have a full-time job. You still have time to ski, take vacations, do fun stuff. Uh, it, it, I don't have cable TV. I don't have time for that. Nice. Okay. <laughs> that explains it. Yeah. Do you have kids? <laughs> no. Okay. That, that helps. <laughs> yeah. Another reason, another reason, Josh, you and I are like, we're, we're, we're brothers we right there. Likewise. And some beautiful cats. All right. <sighs> <laughs> final question. Can we finish this up now. Uh, all right. Fi- final question from me. What do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from those who never get going or from those who fail? Oh, it's it's action. It's uh, the ready fire aim. It's you know seventy percent. I think action. Maybe ten percent having the resources and another twenty percent just being willing to learn more. Um, I learned basically a hundred percent of what I know after I had two rentals. Um, and I know some people that know so much, they, they could probably manage a hundred units right now, but they're scared to get their one because they, they spend all their time analyzing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 
analysis paralysis. That's awesome. Well, listen, Josh, it's been an absolute pleasure, despite the fact that you're up there in uh, Detroit. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously, man, really, really appreciate it. Where, Where can people find out more about you? Uh, bigger pockets, definitely, um, network on there. And, uh, that's probably the best. Right on. All right, cool. Well, listen, thanks so much for being on the show. For those of you guys who are listening and want to chat with Josh, definitely hit him up on his profile on bigger pockets. You could find a link to that on the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 64. Also, uh, if you've got questions about the show in general, definitely uh, and ask any of us a, a question on, on the show notes at, at that same link. Um, and uh, that's really it. Listen, we appreciate you coming. We appreciate you being on board and, and uh, look forward to seeing you around the site. Great. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been fun. All right. Awesome. Thank, thank you, Josh and Josh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. So that's show 64 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. We we hope you enjoyed it. Hopefully you learned a lot. Uh, I, I know there's always uh, some good nuggets to take away. And, and I think Josh was fantastic uh, in sharing some of his wisdom. Uh, make sure, of course, if you're not already on Bigger Pockets to jump in, set up a account and get active. And uh, you too can one day own 50 properties in five years while working a full-time job. Otherwise, look for us on Facebook, Twitter, G+, YouTube. We're all over the place. Follow us, get involved, and uh, good luck to you in your investing. I'm Josh Dorkin, signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming small multifamily bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the small multifamily bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.